Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm Ryan Coonerty. Along with Debbie Cox Bolton of the New Deal, I'm lucky enough to be your co-host. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports the next generation of American leaders. From attorneys generals, to state senators, to mayors, to school board members, these are the people that are pushing policies and politics that will respond to climate change, rebuild our economy, address racial injustice, and restore our democracy. These are incredibly talented people who have dedicated themselves to public service when their country and their communities needed it the most. Check out NewDealLeaders.org to see what I'm talking about. I'm your co-host, Debbie Cox Bolton. In this episode, I speak with Dorcia Pleers, the City Auditor of Albany, New York. We talked about the role of City Auditor, how she's working to make city government more transparent, and her recently launched Equity Audit that's looking at whether city resources, from sidewalk maintenance to COVID testing sites, are meeting the needs of all city residents. We also talked about how growing up in Washington, D.C., amid multiple epidemics, led her to pursue a doctorate and a career in public health, how she ended up running for the city's common council, and why serving as a mentor to young women is so important to her. Enjoy. Dorcia Pleers, welcome to an honorable profession. Thank you. Glad to be here. So nice to see you and to talk to you. And I'm excited to talk about your work in Albany. And I think we should just dive right in. You were appointed city auditor a while ago and then reelected in your own right in 2021, correct? And so I thought I'd just start with a question. Not everybody might know our listeners what a city auditor is and does. So what does a city auditor do? Great question. And you're correct. Most people have no idea that the city auditor position even exists in the city of Albany. But in our city, The Office of Audit and Control really focuses on performance audits. And so some get confused with whether we conduct fiscal audits of the city. We actually hire as a city a third party vendor who comes in and conducts a full financial audit. Our office really looks at checks and balances from a performance programmatic policy standpoint. Is the city living up to citizens' expectations when it comes to services. So that's one example of what we audit. Also, we look internally at the departments and whether or not they are implementing policy, whether that's small P policies or policies that were enacted by the city's legislative body. Got it. Got it. And I know that, for example, you are about or just have just recently embarked on a big project, an equity audit, which I'm super excited to talk to you about. It sounds such a perfect time. I know that equity is a big word out there, an important word as we think about recovering from COVID. And now that we know how many inequities exist across so many issue areas. So in this context, when you're talking about an equity audit, what are you going to be looking at and kind of what are you hoping to accomplish with that? This is a kitchen sink audit. And what I mean by that, as you alluded to, everybody's focusing on equity. And there are so many factors that can be explored when it comes to equity and equitable outcomes. Given that it's a kitchen sink equity audit, we don't have the bandwidth as an office to really go into depth on every issue. 
but we thought it was important to cover a variety of topics when it comes to equity. So we will be looking at things such as outwardly as a local government, are we meeting the needs of our constituents in an equitable manner? What does that look like? Something as simple, and we say simple, but it's not simple to residents, sidewalks. I know from my experience as a councilwoman in the city of Albany, you can walk two blocks and you will see well-manicured lawns. You will see sidewalks and streets that have been well-maintained by the city. And then you go two more blocks and you'll see sidewalks and streets that have been crumbling for decades. Neighborhoods in which city leaders and city government just forgot about. And so there's inequity in our built infrastructure, our built environment. So that's one aspect of what we're looking at is the city dishing out resources, taxpayers' dollars in a way that provides equitable outcomes when it comes to things like sidewalks, also things like code enforcement. Are we going out as a city and making sure that we are addressing bad actors, slum landlords throughout our city versus in just certain segments of our city. We also will be looking in-house. One of the impetus for this particular audit is that I've received a lot of complaints from employees who say that there are some disparities in how people are treated based on demographic information and characteristics. And so we will be looking at hiring rates the demographics of our leadership makeup, to name a few. Mm-hmm. We also are looking at how our city awards contracts. I've received complaints from small business owners, vendors who do business or attempt to do business with our city. And they say, you know what? Contracts, bids only go to those who have historically been connected to the city of Albany. So we will also be looking at, as a city, how we award projects and contracts? And do we see some disparities in trends when it comes to some of those data points? Yeah. Do you know of another city that's doing this kind of comprehensive equity audit or are you the first that you know of? I don't know of another city. There may be one, but the first that I know of. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a really exciting project. Like you said, it touches so many aspects. And I know you've looked at a couple issues that touch on the equity issue. I know in the fall, you did an audit around the COVID response, right, in communities of color in particular. What did you find there? We found from the community's feedback, there were perceptions that the city was not being responsive to the needs of communities of color. And the administration has made it clear that a lot of the public health response happens or happened at the county level. We don't have a health department at the city level. We have a county health department and a New York State health department. That being said, there was a perception and a need from residents that the city itself be more responsive to things like testing. We had testing sites that were stood up, but you had to have a car Mm. to get tested. And so for some of our residents who didn't have cars, who used public transportation and had children, the concerns were, how do we get tested? Even access early on to masks and some of the protective equipment, we found that a lot of our low-income residents and our communities of color, they were not clear about where to even go to get masks. And so 
our findings were that the residents in our communities of color felt that the city was not being responsive, even in terms of how we communicated information as a city. Residents were not clear what the messages were, even though there were a lot of conflicting messages early on during the pandemic. A lot of our residents of color said, where are these messages? Who is communicating to us? Where should we be looking to just find out basic information about what's happening? So those are just some examples of what we found via that assessment. Uh, And so important that you have that baseline of information and the data to take action. And, And I guess that's my next question is, you mentioned you were on the city council, common council, I think you call it in Albany, if I remember right. And then before you were appointed and now elected to the city auditor job. So you're used to being a policymaker and now you are an auditor and you have those really important tools to be able to conduct those performance audits. How does it work? What happens with that information? How do you ensure that the findings are then acted on eventually? That's a great question. As an auditor, in some instances, there's limitations there. My role and the role of my office is to conduct our audit, provide a report that includes findings and recommendations to the administration. And that's where the hard stop is. That's where the fine line is. I am not in a position to implement some of the recommendations. It is really turning these findings over and these recommendations over to the administration to say, this is what we recommend based on what we found. Luckily, in the city of Albany, my office, we we don't have an adversarial relationship with the administration, which happens at times. Audit shops tend to sometimes there's an adversarial relationship. And in my experience, we have been as an office very successful with putting forward recommendations and findings that the administration has been responsive to. That's so great. And are you optimistic about the equity audit, that this is something that the council and the mayor are looking forward to seeing and and seeing where there can be improvements? Absolutely. For a number of reasons. One, the mayor has made equity a focal point for her administration. And so she has a vested interest in equity and equitable outcomes. The Albany Common Council, in its current makeup, A lot of the council members really focus on equity and are we leading with equity as a city? And so they are interested in the results. And I've had members of both the executive branch and legislative branch ask me, will you conduct an equity audit? So this is, uh, again, this serves as the impetus for the legislation, not only being asked by residents, but also being asked by members of the administration and our legislative body. Yeah, that's helpful actually to know how you decide what you're going to do, but it sounds like you get a lot of input from constituents and from leaders themselves on what they need information on to make sure they're legislating effectively. Is that right? That's correct. And there are oftentimes as an office, there may be a red flag in which we initiate an audit based on a concern that we have. So the Audits can really stem from a variety of different factors. One, feedback that we get externally, but also as we are on a day-to-day looking at how the city is spending money, how the city is allocating resources, but also interacting with the public, we then reach our own conclusion about maybe this is an issue that needs to be elevated and addressed by the administration. 
Yeah. I know that one thing that you have talked a lot about when you're running for office and in in your office has been transparency, accountability. And I want to know how you approach that, how you think about your role in trying to make government more accessible and understandable for people. I did come across one answer maybe that I'll steal from your thunder, but uh, I came across your 30-minute download that you do uh, regular talks with different people in government, around government about what they do. I thought that was so smart. I hope that people listening will steal that idea. But you know, beyond that, how do you think about your role in helping with that transparency and what are some of the tools you have to do that? Well, that was one of the first things that I focused on when appointed to the role was how do I take this office and bring it to the community outside of the walls of City Hall? Even though it's on the first floor, as soon as you walk in the door of City Hall, most people have no idea what we do. And as I mentioned earlier, most people don't even know the chief city auditor role is an elected position. Many people think that I work for the mayor. Right. They don't understand that this is an independent office, an independent elected position. And so with that, I spent a lot of time early on saying, how can I change people's perceptions or lack thereof of this office? And so as you alluded to, the community download was born to bring issues to the forefront via a platform that people may utilize, social media, versus looking at an audit report that's buried on the city's website. The other way that I get out into the community is making sure that whenever there's an invitation to come speak, whether it's a neighborhood association or a school graduation, I show up and talk about the role of the Office of Audit and Control and my role, but why it's important for residents. The other thing is being very transparent when it comes to the audits that we're conducting, for example, the racial bias audit that we conducted of the Albany Police Department. I was very intentional about how we interacted with the media to make sure that the word was getting out that this audit was happening. We engaged community stakeholders in the scoring of applications when we were selecting a third-party firm to assist with that audit. We brought in people from the community to say, this is who we want to conduct this audit. The last thing that I'll point out is a youth program that we're going into our second summer, but Ready, Set, Goal is a youth program that my office initiated. And it's really about getting eighth and ninth graders accustomed to setting goals and accomplishing them and learning about how to be professionals, how to network, like dining etiquette, how to prepare a resume, how to set career goals. And so this is another way that I'm able to connect with families in the city of Albany and introduce them to our office and the work that we do. Yeah. That's so great. It feels so important right now, particularly when there seems to be such a low, people hold government kind of low esteem, if you will. I do think that actually local government has a better, (laughs) a better reputation than maybe the federal government, which of course, because it's closest to them, but even, even at the local government, it's just so important, right? To make sure people have a way to connect, understand what you do, understand what services are there for them, right? How we govern is only as good as whether it can get to the people that, you know, on the ground, right? So I think that this, all of those programs you're talking about are so, so, so important. And if I may add to your point, sometimes we spend so much time pointing who's responsible for doing this. I find in my role, if there is an issue 
that needs to be addressed and I get a phone call or it falls in my lap, I proactively work to address it. So when the pandemic hit, I have a bachelor's and doctorate in public health, even though my role is chief city auditor and COVID-19 response efforts falls outside of that, I made it a point to make sure that I was being responsive. And so working with the administration, standing up a volunteer cohort who was helping to make sure residents were signed up for testing and vaccines, standing up a communications group that still meets to this day on a weekly basis, comprised of constituents and nonprofit leaders to make sure that we're bridging the gap between government and community and being responsive, in this case, to a pandemic that none of us saw coming. So I see any quality of life issue impacting residents in our city. I don't turn a blind eye to say, well, I'm just supposed to be in this corner here as chief city auditor. I roll up my sleeves and I get involved as an elected official. I feel that strongly that that's my responsibility to do so. And if I can't personally address the issue, it's my responsibility to be a bridge builder. Yeah, that's so great. That's so great. I mean, I think that that really is what we're talking about when you're in elected office, that kind of servant leadership, right? And I just love that that's watching you in action in that. I do want, you mentioned your PhD and your, I don't know if you said PhD, but you have a PhD. You are a doctorate in public health. So you grew up in Washington, D.C. You went on to get your master's and PhD in public health. And I'm just kind of curious for you how that happened. What was it that sparked your interest in that kind of pursuing that as a career? Sure. So it started organically as a young girl. I grew up in D.C. in the midst of multiple epidemics, the crack epidemic, heroin epidemic. We had violence. So like most urban poor, I grew up in an area in which I learned early on how your neighborhood impacts your health. Hmm. I was able to make that connection early on. And while I wasn't sure that I would end up in the field of public health, I knew that I wanted to help people. I had a loved one pass away from HIV-related complications. Thank you. Thank you. So that planted a seed really for me to want to invest not only in my community, but other communities and be intentional about how to help people when it comes to health and, and looking broadly at not just health from an individual standpoint, but health from a community standpoint and how your neighborhood, your community impacts your health. And so that's how the seed was planted. And I was introduced to public health while an undergrad student at Delaware State University. I was on the track to become a psychologist. And one of my professors said, Dorsey, you talk so much about this notion of community health. There is, in fact, a field Mm-hmm. called community health, public health that I think you would really enjoy. And it was from that point that I started doing fellowships at places like Johns Hopkins, Harvard, the University of Michigan, completing public health centric fellowships and fell in love with the field. And I've been a public health servant ever since. Did you think that that was going to be government necessarily? I thought that I would at some point work for the federal government helping to shape public health policy, I never, ever, ever, ever imagined that I would run for office. No concept of policy, politics. It was just a very abstract thing for me. 
coming up and even early on in my academic pursuit. So never thought that I would be in this role today. Never. And what changed your mind? How did that happen? I learned working in the field of HIV that if you want to bring about systemic change, I was focused on community health and programming. And I was spinning my wheels and burning out quickly. And I had a Eureka moment where I said, I need to be at the table making decisions about the policies that impact. In this instance, it was a narrow focus. I was focused on HIV. And so when I started my doctoral program, actually it's a, it's a DRPH, a doctorate in public health. I said, let me focus on policy this time around. And I was introduced to a fellowship by the Center for Women in Government and Civil Society. And I went through that fellowship and I met women leaders who were in elected office. And I remember sitting in those sessions thinking, wow, I never even thought about running for office. Maybe if they did it, I can do it too. And shortly after completing the fellowship, someone approached me about running for office in my neighborhood. And that's how this started. Put it out there to you. (laughs) Well, and it's interesting because as a first time candidate, you got the endorsement, I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, of of the outgoing council member, correct? Probably a crowded field, I have to imagine, maybe not. So you you had support from the get-go. Had you met that person or like, how did that come about? So my mentor, Judith Mazza, who I I refer to her as a a little pit bull in a skirt, she is entrenched in Albany politics. And one day I was out working in my garden and she was out campaigning for candidate. And she approached me and we just had a 20 minute conversation. She was asking me questions and I told her about the fellowship and and that's, that was the extent of the conversation. I didn't think anything of it, didn't know her all that well. And fast forward from that conversation, she reached out to me and said, can we meet for coffee? I would like you to meet the current councilman for the ward. And I said, OK, no problem. Again, oblivious. And we meet at the coffee shop one evening and the two of them asked me if I would run for office. And I remember turning around because I I truly thought that they were talking to someone else. And that's how I met Dominic Casalaro, who I've had the honor to be mentored by Judith Mazza. And the rest is history when it comes to our relationship, the mentorship and my ability to or just me being able to serve in this capacity in the city of Albany. I love that story. I'm going to ask that question because I think people sometimes are like, how does this happen, right? How do people become elected? And how wonderful that, you know, this kind of support you had early on and, and them seeing how good you would be for this role. And I do want to ask you, Dorsey, too, about, you talked a lot about mentorship in that answer. You, you're an incredible mentor. And I, and I was looking back at some of how much you've done, particularly around helping women throughout your whole career. And it seems like something that's super important to you. And you've been honored. You were the, I think, ambassador, Women and Girls Ambassador for Girls, Inc., for example. You were honored by Senator Gillibrand with an Off the Sidelines Equality Advocacy Award a few years ago. So clearly, you know, you've done so much. Why is that so important to you? And and what would you tell other women about the importance of of mentoring? Well, I get teary-eyed thinking about the mentoring piece because it is so much of who I am. And 
I am very clear that I am who I am because so many people poured and mentored me. I would not be here as the Honorable Dr. Dorsey appears if it wasn't for mentorship. I'm very clear about that. And so with that, it is a responsibility of mine to give that back. And I am very intentional about doing that. So when I am, whether it's meeting people in the neighborhood, I will talk to a grandmother and say, do you mind if I mentor your granddaughter? Because I am very clear that given the inequities in this city, while we are a college town, there are so many kids in this neighborhood who have never stepped foot on a college campus. And we have at least six colleges and universities here in this area. I am clear that many of these young people will not make it to college if someone doesn't mentor or pour into them. So it can happen as organic as that, or oftentimes young women reach out to me and ask if I will mentor them via someone said, I think Dorsey would be a great mentor for you. And I very rarely say no, because again, I count it a privilege to be in a place to even mentor, to have something to offer. So I love being able to serve as a mentor and to pour and give back to others, truly. Thank you for that. And it's super inspiring. You are, you know, you've got a big job. You're a mom of two little ones. You do the, all this mentoring. It's you're truly an inspiration. This is an honorable profession. One of the reasons I love having these conversations is to just hear the passion and to remind people, honestly, about how selfless, frankly, and how, you know, the sacrifices that elected officials make to do this work. And you're just such a great example of all of that. So I just want to say thank you for all that you're doing. And I just think you're doing fantastic work there up in Albany. And I'm so grateful to have you as part of the New Deal Network. And thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to An Honorable Profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders. And keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Row Group produces podcasts. I'm Ryan Coonerty. And because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast. <laughs>